Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, and we're back. Dr. Ravenel, welcome as a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. As a physician, what did you see wrong with the the offered cure, the as you call it, the preferred cure. What is wrong with that as a physician? Okay, first there are two parts of that. I think first of all, it's the um, from the from the get go and still to this day to some a large degree, a combination of advising the public from the most trusted experts, the CDC. Dr. Fauci, the advisors, and so forth, infectious disease experts, hospital systems, advise the public that there is really no was, and they still say there's no real safe, effective treatment. And outside of the one drug which has been was approved, emergency authorized remdesivir, early on, it became part of the hospital protocols. That's a drug which, in, in experiments before its use in the pandemic. The uh, animals tested had had a high rate of, of animals uh, not doing well, I mean, dying and so forth. And the previous uses of remdesivir had had a high rate of uh, side effects and adverse effects and all that. But that drug was the one that was approved as part of hospital protocols across the country. There are a lot of doctors who, so, so we have the protocols the hospitals form, advising strongly that people do not, not to use the things that they've heard about that increasing number of physicians all around the world have used successfully with uh, 70 to 99% reduction in hospitalizations and deaths in millions of people around the world in multiple countries, many states in our country. Uh, the, the, the early uh, repurposed generic FDA-approved drugs, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Each of these drugs is decades old, been approved for other purposes for many, many, many years. Uh, hydroxychloroquine has been considered to be one of the safest drugs ever made, uh, used in billions of people over 30 years, decades. And all of a sudden now, it's dangerous to use for COVID, according to the people who are saying it shouldn't be used. Uh, likewise, ivermectin. So this is, this is what, what I've really talked about in the beginning is that we as physicians, if you are if you are a physician who believes in the Hippocratic Oath, that the that you are required to do whatever you possibly can to heal a physician, 
and not withhold treatment as long as the patient agrees to something which may not be known. If you say, look, I don't know if this is going to work, but we need to try it. It's not, probably not going to hurt you, but let's try it. That is the way medicine has gone for, I guess, centuries. Uh, and all of a sudden, everything is just turned on its head. Everything is reversed. Uh, and what you have to see in that, well, certainly what I see, is that there was an enormous profit motive for the companies that made the vaccine. Uh, and that's what I see as, as happened. Because like you said, I mean, we use stuff off-label all the time. In ophthalmology, for the last 17 years, I've been injecting Avastin into human eyes for and injecting it for wet macular degeneration, diabetic macular edema. The results have been incredible. There are people who are now still seeing, who are walking around driving and reading because we were able to use an anti-cancer medication accidentally determined to be effective. And now look at all the millions of people who are benefited from it. And instead, we have a situation where the government actively prevented the use of things that you, as an interactive medicine doctor, who you knew, you knew that these things were going to work, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so the uh, <clears throat> the battle now is that more and more people, uh, more and more patients, either themselves or have friends or others who they're they're becoming aware that these treatments are available and they're getting them, and there are more and more doctors providing them. And yet another impressive, we move into the whole thing about, so what is in the organized medicine and some of the government agencies' response to all this? They have not only suppressed and opposed the use of these treatments, but they have also gone so far as to start to threaten and in many cases actually literally have the, the uh, hospital physician or the license of a medical professional suspended because because they have dared to provide their patients who wanted the treatment, early treatment, and the patients got well or improved, not pay, not complain. And they suspend the license of a physician for treating his patient and providing a life-saving treatment. It is mind-boggling and incomprehensible. And it goes on today. This brings up, of course, uh, a variety of, of questions and and I and I want you to I want you to answer them because they're important to not only to me but obviously people will listen here. What I think it's important to outline what are the true risks of the vaccines and how does that relate to the boosters that are now being pushed on all of us? You know, what is the efficacy of those vaccines and what are the risks? Well, that's a, a, all kind of things in that. Let me first of all mention something about efficacy and risk uh, or, or effectiveness. The standard way of, of framing if efficacy, the word efficacy refers to the data, this research data that pharmaceutical companies accumulate where they study the drug for whatever period they do, formerly years, now months, but they determine what uh, what percent of the targeted measure 
is achieved. In the case of the COVID vaccines, they targeted, uh, they studied uh, acquisition of infection and, and or other things, they, mainly that. And the, the efficacy of 95%, 90%, for example, what that means is that the studies in which during, during the time they did the study, remember they got authorization with two to three months, they only had three months of time to determine what number of individuals got the vaccine, got infections, or how many of the people who weren't vaccinated got infections. And the number of people, the numbers were very small, relatively speaking. So what what happened was, uh, if you use the relative risk reduction, which is what they do, example, let's say you have a thousand people, thousand people get a treatment, thousand people don't get the treatment. You track, in this case, COVID infections. Let's say uh, three of them in the group that got the vaccine, uh, three that let's say three people who uh, did did not get the vaccine, no, three people who got the vaccine did not. Three people, three vaccinated people uh, got COVID, and I'm just making these numbers up. But but a hundred people in the unvaccinated got COVID. Well, that's a a uh, hundred to three. That's about a ninety some percent reduction. It's a true statement. It's a fact. But if you had to treat a thousand people with the treatment with the vaccine in this case, and you only reduced from uh, uh, 90 to 3, you, you had to treat 1,000 people to benefit, it just prevent 87 cases of COVID, for which the mortality is about 0.0001%. You see what I'm getting at. If you looked at it rather than relative risk reduction, is absolute risk reduction, that's when you look at the numbers of the, what matters to people is, and the FDA has a manual where they instruct providers or physicians that when discussing with patients, the benefit of a treatment, it is more uh, accurate or more revealing of the, the truth of what they care about to use absolute risk reduction, not relative. These COVID vaccines, the published data, the numbers when you add them up, the absolute risk reduction for a vaccine that might be 90% efficacy is less than 1% absolute because you've got to look at the total number of people who get the treatment, all of whom take sustain whatever risk there is, and then all the people who didn't get the treatment and see what the total numbers are. So you have to treat, if you have to treat 300 people to get prevent two cases of COVID, I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to. You can, you can make the numbers look great by using relative risk. And even using relative risk, in the last year, or the last few months, it's been obvious to everybody now, many reports that the Efficacy of 90, 95%, which sounds great, really doesn't mean that much when you get the real facts about it. But even that, after uh, two to three months, not years, the efficacy, even the relative risk thing, drops down to less than 50%, 30%. Even the, even the pharmaceutical industry has accepted until the COVID pandemic, anything, any vaccine that had efficacy less than 50% would consider not to not to justify authorization. And yet, uh, now they're talking about, so the boosters come in. And so we have the boosters because the, in essence, they're acknowledging that the primary series is not effective, or at least it doesn't provide whatever benefit it does in preventing cases or whatever you're looking at longer than a few months. 
So they have a booster and then they have more boosters and then more, more uh, quicker and quicker. So, I mean, the, the direction, if you use logical thinking, you're going to end up with a booster with these things every three to four months, the rest of your life. And that gets over to the question of what is the flip side? What is the risk of doing this? And that gets back to the VAERS data. I, I did mention, I want to clarify another thing. It's fair to say that someone has a treatment, a vaccine or a drug, and they drop dead an hour later. It's possible. It's just coincidental. Possible. Not likely. It's possible. However, the VAERS data, one of the one of the uh, defenders of the government agencies, when they try to poo-poo the data, the fact is not is not arguable. It's a fact. It's completely proven that the number of people who expire, who are deceased following the COVID therapy shots, uh, has exceeded the total number in all the other 31 vaccines for 31. I mean, 71 vaccines for 31 years. That's an inarguable fact. I want uh, you. To, I want you to repeat that fact. Very, very slowly, because that is so critical. Yes. I've read that fact before. Say it again. Say it slowly so everyone understands exactly what you just said. Yes. The number of deaths following administration of the COVID vaccines over the last year and a half, whenever, however long they've been, has exceeded the grand total of all the deaths following all the 71 other vaccines and COVID vaccines for 31 years added together in one year. And that is now, as to whether, are they coincidental or are they, did all of it, did every one of the, they're about, I think they're about uh, 40,000 admitting knowledge, 40,000, not 40. Uh, previous vaccine trials, when a vaccine would be followed by as many as 50 deaths, not 50,000, 50 deaths, they pulled the vaccine, that's it, it's pulled completely. Now we're talking about in the United States over, is it, I think it's 9,000, 10,000, 40,000 worldwide. Whistleblowers and others have said the number may be three to five times that number, and they're still safe and effective. But here's the other thing to realize. If a vaccine, if, a, if, a, if a, an event follows something else, it doesn't mean the, the, the event was caused by the thing it follows. Uh, however, in the case of these vaccines we're talking about, the various data, anything that's coincidental would be a random distribution. In other words, if you did the data and you have, uh, let's say in the United States, 10,000 people who died following getting this treatment, or was a vaccine, you want to call it a vaccine. Uh, and if it was all coincidental, the number of days between getting a vaccine and, and dying would be random. It'd be the same percent, roughly, Day one, day five, day 30, day 60, three months, six months, nine months. In this case, the data are compelling from the VAERS system. The deaths have clustered. Uh, Dr. McCullough had uh, presented one of the talks where he summarized it. I think it was uh, uh, in the first 14 days, 50% of all of the deaths and 85, uh, something like 85% within, no, I'm sorry, 40, within 48 hours, 50% of the deaths occur. Within 48 hours, yeah. and within two weeks, 80%. And, and so this is just staggering. It's not uh, random. That's not, those aren't random numbers. No, I mean, no it, it's, it's not random. It's not random distribution at all. 
So then, so you have the, the, the number of deaths. And then the other thing, of course, is the much talked about with good justification, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart. And it goes back to you earlier, you asked a question about what is it about these uh, therapies? And speak briefly now about the majority of these shots have been from either the, MR, the uh, mRNA or the um, viral vector DNA, which means a vaccine, Johnson Johnson, is the one that's viral vector DNA. It's, uh, a, they use a virus in the vaccine that isn't, doesn't reproduce itself, but the virus infects the individual. So they infect you with a virus that carries the DNA-based vaccine into the cells. So both the mRNA and the DNA viral vector vaccines work by uh, using the spike protein, but they, they use the, the, MR, the genetic material to enter the body. And it was thought, and at least it, they claimed that it would be remain localized in the shoulder and that it would, uh, any that got in the bloodstream wouldn't be there very long. But the, the, this is the, there's never been a vaccine used in humans before. Uh, they tried one time before with the mRNA technique, technology, and it was a disaster. So this, there's never been a vaccine successfully used on this, tech, on this base. They've, approved, they've authorized it in three months of data. And the mRNA vaccine, as well as the other, gets in the cells. It's a, it's a nanoparticle protected, um, uh, protected entity that gets, gets, in the situa- gets in the, injected, gets into the cells. Once it gets into the cells, it instructs the cells to produce the spike protein component of the virus that they pick to be in the vaccine. So the body is made to produce its own spike protein. Unfortunately, the spike protein is the single most pathogenic, meaning it is the largest responsibility for the bad effects of the disease of all the components of the virus itself. So you're causing the body to produce the very toxic part of the virus itself if you got the infection that causes the most damage. And worst of all, after in the last months, it has been proven, published papers in the literature, that the distribution of the mRNA is through the body. It, it accumulates in many, many organs, including the ovaries, in the uh, brain, and other places. So what happened, and it's also the length of time, we know that it goes as long as, I believe it's uh, 30 to 60 days that the spike protein is produced. We don't know how long it goes on. They've not studied it. So we have a a continuing, ongoing production of the component of the virus itself, the spike protein, that is toxic to the body. And then when you get into the, the, now because of the waning efficacy, they have uh, started having boosters and all that. And even the uh, hospitals and the people that administer it, they warned, they kind of let the public know that the side effects, the ones that are not necessarily long-term, but the side effects are greater following the boosters, especially the second one, than they are from the original vaccine. So we have an unprecedented we're not tracking the long-term data. Oh, and they, they, some of the studies, the early studies that the drug companies used before they got EUA authorization for the vaccines, they actually, after the uh, initial period of time when they gave the vaccine, 
some months, they then decided it was, they used a rationale that it's not fair to the people who got the, who didn't get the vaccine, not to have the benefit of the vaccine. So they went and vaccinated all the, offered the vaccine to all the control patients. So what that does is it eliminates the control group. And that's never been done in history. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything.